38 and counting. Apocalypse. The torture chamber reeked of fear, pain, and blood. Humanoid bodies hung on meat hooks from the vaulted ceiling of the subterranean chamber, buried deep beneath the smoldering surface of an alien world. The grandiose architecture blended the medieval with the futuristic, the high-tech trappings failing to conceal the primal horror of the scene. Glowing rods embedded in the gloomy stone walls cast a sanguinary crimson radiance over the chamber. A stooped figure in a hooded purple robe applied a scalpel to the bare skull of yet another prisoner, who was strapped onto a cold steel operating table. Blood from the incision trickled down the side of his head before dripping into an ornate basin at the hooded figure's feet. Dasad, chief inquisitor of the planet Apocalypse, was moved to philosophize. What is the worth of a single life? Bangs of stringy black hair drooped out from beneath the top of his hood. Cruel blue eyes peered from his sly, vulpine features. How does one measure its power? Even the humblest of souls touches others. Its ever-widening ripples spread across the universe, altering for better or for worse the destinies of countless beings on infinite worlds. Oh. The lowly upon the table inconveniently went into its death throes after only the briefest exploratory surgery upon the pain centers of its brain. And yet, for all the good and ill that life accomplishes, it perishes at last with an imperceptible whisper. As if it had never existed at all. A looming black shadow fell across the operating table. Your analogy is depressingly nihilistic. A thousand pardons, Master. Darkseid, supreme ruler of Dread Apocalypse, stood over eight feet tall atop a stone stairway looking down into the dungeon. His craggy gray features looked as though they had been chiseled out of solid granite. Crimson eyes glowed like embers beneath his beetling brows. A somber blue cuirass encased his stocky frame. A wide metallic belt girded his massive torso. A matching blue helmet, gloves, and boots completed his imperial raiment. And yet, no disrespect meant, of course. Do you refute its ultimate conclusion? Were I hobbled by your limitations, I would say no. Darkseid turned away from the doorway. And Assad scurried after him, hiking up the hem of his robe as he crept up the stairs to a war room one floor above. Fortunately, my vision encompasses a greater horizon. Darkseid contemplated a chessboard, upon which were arrayed miniature figurines fashioned in the likeness of various inhabitants of the planet Earth. That seemingly insignificant world, separated from Apocalypse by vast gulfs of time and space, had often figured in Darkseid's ambitious designs and machinations. That his plans for universal conquest were frequently opposed by Earth's myriad superpower champions only made that world a more tempting prize. Joining his master before the table, Dasad identified the figures as representations of Superman, Captain Marvel, Black Adam, Eclipso, 
Harley Quinn, Donna Troy, Jason Todd, and many other Terran nuisances, both celebrated and obscure. He looked forward to the possibility of treating all or more of these to his singular hospitality. I see the time fast approaching when existence itself shall be recreated, and Darkseid shall be its architect. He plucked a tiny statue of James Bartholomew Olsen from the table and repositioned it upon the board. But your venomous tongue speaks at least one truth to Sad. Even the humblest soul touches others. Graphic Audio presents DC Comics Countdown by Greg Cox Based on the DC Comics miniseries All names, characters, and elements are trademarks of DC Comics. Copyright 2010, DC Comics. All rights reserved. Narrated by Richard Rowan. With performances by Susan Linsky, Stephen Carpenter, Yasmin Twazom, Amanda Thickpenny, James Konachek, Mort Shelby, Nanette Savard, Andy Clements, Danny Gavigan, Margie Tompros, Laura Quinn Anderson, Lily Beacon, Terence Aselford, Ken Jackson, Lily David, Scott McCormick, Christopher Sheeran, James Lewis, Elizabeth Jernigan, Ren Casey, Joe Brack, Colleen Delaney, Michael Glenn, Nathan Bennett, Barbara Pinolini, Thomas Penny, David Coyne, Laura Reichert, Tim Carlin, M.B. Van Dorn, Tom Simpson, Jonathan Watkins, Casey Platt, Eric Messner, and Dolores King-Williams. Thirty-seven, and counting. Gotham City. Arkham Asylum, home for the criminally insane, looked like something out of an old Basil Carlo movie. The forbidding Gothic edifice, with its sooty brick walls, slate shingles, and turrets, was located on the outskirts of Gotham, not far from the D'Angelo sewage treatment plant. A noxious miasma wafted up from the river as Jimmy Olsen approached the infamous asylum, which usually housed any number of Gotham's most notorious homicidal maniacs. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. The red-haired cub reporter and photographer swallowed hard after snapping off a couple of shots of the asylum's gloomy exterior. 
And then again, if I want the chief to take me seriously as an investigative journalist and not just a photographer, I need to follow a story wherever it takes me. Even to Gotham and this creepy old place. Armed guards escorted Jimmy to a checkpoint outside the maximum security ward. A sign posted on the wall read, No weapons, coins, umbrellas, plants, bottled water, playing cards, or coolers beyond this point. I'm afraid we're going to have to ask you to strip down to your shorts, sir. Just a precaution, Mr. Olson. <laughs> Not taking any chances, huh? Jimmy wished that he hadn't worn those Superman boxers today. <sighs> Maybe you guys could turn up the heat in here? Sorry about that. Mr. Freeze brings down the temperature in the entire building. Right. The guard swept a metal-detecting wand under Jimmy's outstretched arms. Uh, Superman gave me that wristwatch. Right. Okay, you're clean. Mercifully, the guards let him put his clothes back on before admitting him to the ward. Locked doors lined both sides of a long corridor that stretched down one entire wing of the former mansion. Closed-circuit TV cameras tracked Jimmy's progress as he made his way down the hallway. Horizontal slits were cut at eye level into the sturdy iron doors of the cells. Indeed, no, I say no. What are you talking about? I'm just saying that the doctor might be right. Will you shut up? I'm sick of your sniveling, you weak Jimmy nervously fingered his wristwatch. Hey, hey, hey! What do four-dimensional beings look like? Crazed, dilated eyes peeked out through the slit in a door. Could they be inches away from our three-dimensional world, ready to eat our chocolate cake? I, uh, I hope not. Jimmy quickened his pace, but faster to get away from those manic eyes. Who the heck was that? At last he came to the end of the corridor, where Arkham's most dangerous inmate occupied a special cell of his own. The shadowed figure squatted on the bleak cell floor in front of Jimmy, behind a thick wall of clear, bulletproof plastic. A canvas straitjacket bound his arms against his chest. His head was drooped forward, concealing his face, so that only his wild green hair could be seen. His bare feet, bleached white as chalk, emerged from the trousers of a bright orange institutional jumpsuit. Disc-shaped air holes in the plastic wall allowed Jimmy to hear him. <laughs> um, <clears throat> looky, looky. It's Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, the red-headed stepchild of the Daily Planet. Let me see the watch, Jimbo. Get Superman on the line. Nurse Ratchet won't let me watch the World Series. I, uh... I'd like to ask you a few questions, Joker. And I'd like to strangle your pink little neck until your eyes pop out of your head. The inmate kept staring down at the floor, not even bothering to make eye contact. Jimmy's mouth went dry. Part of him wanted to turn around and catch the first train back to Metropolis, but the reporter in him was determined to stand his ground, just like Lois or Clark would. <clears throat> it's about Lex Luthor. There's a rumor going around the underworld that you killed him, or tried to, after that big crisis in Metropolis a year ago. But there are also stories that you and Luther have been working together occasionally. So what's the story, Joker? Are you in cahoots with Luther, or did you murder him? <gasps> murder Lex? Are you telling me Lex is dead? 
I don't know. Superman's archenemy hadn't been seen in months. Nobody knew if he was just lying low, plotting some campaign against the Man of Steel, or if he was truly dead. Do you? Poor legs. Dead? No! Say it isn't so! He lunged at the plastic divider, separating him from Jimmy. Who could have done such a terrible thing? Was it you? No, I... I was hoping you might know. Know what? Where Lex is, if he's really dead. Do you know? I'm asking you. Asking me what? If I'm in on the joke? Okay, this was obviously a bad idea. You don't know anything. No, I know more than you, Jimbo. He pressed his face against the transparent plastic so that one of the holes circled his right eye like a monocle. You're a photographer. You have the all-seeing eye of the camera. But your lens cap is still on. You're out of focus. You can't see the big picture. What big picture? The bloodshot eye nearly bulged through the circular gap in the wall. Come closer, and I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So what's the big picture? <laughs> it's a universal conspiracy, Jimbo. It's all around us. Something's not quite right with the world. Haven't you noticed? Haven't you felt it? By now, Jimmy's goosebumps had goosebumps, but he tried not to let it get to him. <sighs> you're crazy and locked away. How would you know? Eh, you're right. I'm a conspiracy nut. And you know what else? <laughs> oh, this is the kicker. I did kill Lex. Or rather, I killed a Lex Luthor. <laughs> but not our Lex Luthor. <laughs> Doppelganger's gone wild, Jimbo! When Earths collide! You slay me. Let me slay you in return. Freak show. What a waste of time. So long, Jimbo! Be a sweetie and send me the obituaries. Y'all come back real soon, you hear? Out of the corner of his eye, Jimmy spotted an armored guard escorting Killer Croc to a vacant cell. The scaly green monster was over seven feet tall and looked more like his reptilian namesake than a human being. Jimmy recalled that Waylon Jones suffered from a unique genetic disorder that had slowly transformed him into a human crocodile. Keep moving, Jones! Croc's escort was decked out in full riot gear for safety's sake. An electronic cattle prod goaded the prisoner forward. Give me any more trouble and you won't get fed tonight. No raw meat for you. <sighs> Jimmy fished his cell phone from his pocket to let Lois know that this whole thing had been a dead end. <laughs> Jimmy spun around to see Killer Croc break free from his restraints. The cuffs had come apart, snapping like rubber bands. The panicked guard jabbed Croc with a prod, but the high-voltage jolt only served to enrage the monster further. An immense green arm smashed the guard into the wall, hard enough to crack the man's body armor. His tail savagely whipping the air behind him, Croc took hold of the hapless guard and bit the man's head off. Holy! Hello? Jimmy, is that you? It all happened so fast. 
Jimmy groped frantically for his signal watch, desperate to summon Superman, but Croc was already lunging toward him. Frozen in shock, Jimmy could only watch in horror as Croc's blood-splattered jaws opened wide for him. And then things got really strange. Right before Croc's huge claws ripped off his freckles, Jimmy's neck stretched out of the way, elongating like taffy until it was at least five feet long. Jimmy threw himself backward, and his arms and legs stretched as well, so that the charging crocodile man missed him entirely. The elastic limbs, extending far beyond his sleeves and trousers, flailed about wildly as Jimmy tumbled clumsily onto the floor. His tangled limbs looked like a pile of pink spaghetti. Am I really doing this? What the hell? Croc came at Jimmy again, and the reporter kicked one leg up to defend himself. The leg extended halfway down the hall, so that his heel connected with Croc's chin. The blow seemed to startle the monster more than anything else. He eyed Jimmy warily as he stalked toward the fallen reporter, whose elastic limbs were attracted in fear from the advancing Saurian. Scooting backward on his butt, Jimmy found himself trapped against the unyielding stone wall behind him. There was no escape. These people pump me so full of meds, I can't even trust my own eyes anymore. But I'll bet you taste fine. Maybe a little rubbery. <laughs> Jimmy frantically pushed the signal button on his wristwatch. In theory, the watch emitted a supersonic alarm that Superman, and only Superman, could hear anywhere on Earth. But apparently, he was occupied elsewhere. Not even Superman could be in two places at once. <laughs> Closing his eyes in anticipation of the end, he wondered if his gory demise would rate page one of the planet. This wasn't exactly how he wanted to make the front page. What? The reporter's eyes snapped open, and he saw his attacker stiffening in shock as an entire team of Arkham security guards attacked him from behind with their stun rods powered up to the max. Jimmy had to quickly roll out of the way to avoid being squashed beneath the falling monster. Jeez Louise! Cuff him before he recovers, boys! And don't be gentle about it! Jimmy! What's happening, Jimmy? <sighs> Lois? I'll have to call you back! He wasn't sure that he was up to telling her the whole story, even if he understood it himself. Now that the danger was over, he felt drained, exhausted, and more than a little confused. <sighs> The guards dragged Croc into a waiting cell. Satisfied that the monster was under wraps for the time being, their leader finally checked on Jimmy. Mighty brave standing your ground like that. The security chief glanced again at what was left of the unfortunate guard. How'd you keep Croc from shredding you? Jimmy experimentally fingered his neck. It seemed to be in one piece, and back to its usual proportions. Uh, I kinda thought he did. Jimmy glanced down at his arms and legs. They certainly felt like rubber at the moment, but they looked perfectly normal. Did he just imagine them stretching like that? Maybe all that adrenaline was messing with his head. He decided not to mention his inexplicable elasticity to the security chief. Jimmy was a visitor to Arkham, not an inmate, and he intended to keep it that way. If he hurried, 
he could still catch the six o'clock train back to Metropolis. New York City. Shazam. <sighs> Once upon a time, the word would have summoned an enchanted lightning bolt, transforming Mary into Mary Marvel, the world's mightiest maiden. But now, nothing happened. No thunderclap boomed overhead. No flash of lightning lit up her private hospital room. Her everyday clothes were not transmuted into a superheroine's colorful costume. No symbolic thunderbolt adorned her chest. She was still just Mary Batson, an ordinary teenage girl. Ever since waking from a coma a few weeks ago, she'd said the word dozens of times a day. Sometimes she'd even wake herself up by shouting it in her sleep, but always with the same dispiriting results. She sat on the edge of her hospital bed, a small bundle of personal belongings packed by her side. With her auburn hair, blue eyes, and slim figure, she looked like the proverbial girl next door. She wore a bright red windbreaker over a beige sweater and blue jeans. Bernice, her friendly physical therapist, appeared in the doorway. Time to go, kiddo. You must be excited. Finally getting out of this place after all your recovery time. According to the doctors, Mary had been in a coma for nearly three months. Ever since that big battle with Black Adam, in other words. Adam, the evil counterpart of Mary's brother, Captain Marvel, had declared war on the whole world and the entire Marvel family had joined forces to stop him. The last thing she remembered was Black Adam striking her hard enough to knock her all the way from Sydney, Australia to Northern India. She had crashed to earth in front of the Taj Mahal and woken up in this Manhattan hospital 10 weeks later. Her powers had been AWOL ever since, along with her friends and family. Yeah, sure. Clutching her bag, she joined Bernice in the bustling corridor outside. I have to ask you again, Bernice. Are there any messages for me? Oh, honey, I'm sorry, but we've been over that. I know. Uh, it's just... Uh, I've been here so long, and I thought one of them would have called. Where was her twin brother Billy and their best friend Freddie Freeman? Why hadn't they come to visit her? The boy's continuing absence filled her with anxiety. According to the internet, which she had searched from her hospital bed, Black Adam had been defeated eventually, but neither Captain Marvel nor Captain Marvel Jr. had been seen or heard from since. Had they lost their powers too? Feeling lost and abandoned, Mary let Bernice escort her to the checkout desk, where a gray-haired administrator presented her with a sheaf of documents. Uh, I have your release papers ready to go, Ms. Batson. Oh, thanks. Mary sat down opposite the older woman. But, uh... I'm afraid I can't pay. I have no money or insurance. Don't worry. Your bill was settled by your brother. Billy? Mary knew that Billy had survived their clash with Black Adam because he had apparently arranged to have her transferred from Agra to New York, but she had started to fear that she was never going to see him again. He's here? Oh, not anymore. He stopped by this morning just long enough to make the payments. But he must have left something for me. A note, a, a phone number, anything. She'd already tried calling home to Fawcett City, only to discover that Billy's old number had been disconnected. Ditto for Freddy's. Both boys seemed to have vanished and left no forwarding address. Oh, uh, just this. Thank you. Mary's heart leapt until she opened the note and read the terse message inside. Mary, don't try to find me. B. No. This wasn't like Billy at all. She desperately wanted to dismiss the note as a fake, but she recognized her brother's handwriting. 
Deep in her heart, she knew it was true. For some unfathomable reason, Billy had ditched her. Perhaps for good. I'm on my own. Still in shock, she made it out of the hospital to the sidewalk outdoors. New York City rose up around her, huge and intimidating. The brisk fall weather was starting. It had been springtime when Black Adam had sent her crashing to Earth like a fallen angel. <sighs> I have missed an entire summer. A cloudy gray sky vaulted above the towering skyscrapers. The lofty clouds called out to Mary, reminding her that once she had been able to soar among them. Shazam! <gasps> the thunder was just thunder. There was nothing magic about it anymore. <sighs> just like her. Wet, cold, and alone, she left the hospital behind and began walking. 36 and counting. Metropolis. Let me get this straight. I do a photographer a favor by sending him on a reporter's assignment. I send you all the way to Gotham City, and you come back with nothing? The editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet glared at Jimmy from behind his cluttered walnut desk. Venetian blinds and a closed door concealed the interior of Perry's office from the bullpen outside. Like I told Lois on the phone, Chief, there was nothing to get. The Joker just babbled like a crazy person. What about all that commotion I heard when you called? Lois Lane leaned against a filing cabinet by the door, sipping a cup of coffee. What was that all about? Oh, uh, that. Jimmy was reluctant to divulge all the weirdo details to either Lois or Perry. He didn't want them to think that he had snapped under the pressure and hallucinated the whole thing. Uh, nothing. Nothing important. Can we stay on point here? I've still got a paper to put out, and we need a new angle on... Caesar's ghost! Now what? All three journalists raced to the window, which offered a spectacular view of downtown Metropolis. Only seconds ago, it had been a clear fall day, but now ominous black clouds obscured the sun. Bright golden flashes lit up the roiling clouds from inside. For a moment, Jimmy thought that maybe it was just a freak thunderstorm, but then coruscating bolts of shimmering yellow energy blasted down from the sky, wreaking havoc on the city below. A destructive beam tore through an elevated billboard for Sundollar Coffee, setting it ablaze, while another ray blasted apart a rooftop water tower. Olsen, get down there with your camera! Already on it, Chief! Ah! Holy mackerel! Outside the Planet Building, it was Bedlam. Jimmy backed up against the Planet Building's granite facade in order to avoid being trampled. He was anxious to capture the chaos on film, but first he took a moment to activate his signal watch, just in case. Most everyone around him seemed to be running for safety, but he was startled to see a shell-shocked family of three, obviously tourists, standing frozen in terror right in the middle of the sidewalk. They were practically asking to be collateral damage. Hey, watch out! You can't just stand there! Sure enough, a sizzling bolt of energy slammed into the skyscraper behind them. The southwest corner of the roof exploded, blasting a heavy stone gargoyle into pieces. Shattered rubble rained down from the blasted cornice, plunging straight toward the defenseless family. Ah! 
The woman stared in shock at the shattered stretch of sidewalk where she and her loved ones had been standing only moments before. Oh, mother of God! You saved us! Wow! How'd you do it, buddy? Uh... Jimmy had no idea. To his own amazement, he had put on a sudden burst of speed, grabbed onto all three with both arms, and whisked them down the sidewalk only a second before the plummeting debris crashed into the pavement behind him. What was happening to him? Yesterday he was Plastic Man, today he was The Flash? It's gotta be like those stories you hear about old ladies gaining super strength to lift the car off a baby, something? Yeah, yeah, that must be it. Jimmy didn't buy that for a second. This was way too weird. But before he could give the unsettling mystery any more thought, all eyes were drawn upward. That sound! Something else is falling! Oh! The impact felt like an earthquake, almost knocking Jimmy off his feet. Abandoned cars and trucks were tossed into the air like Tonka toys, crashing down onto the shattered asphalt and each other. Clouds of dust and pulverized concrete billowed up from the crash site. <coughs> Holy cow! What was that? Jimmy didn't think that the unidentified falling object had landed on top of anyone, thankfully. Plus, also on the bright side, a tremendous crash had kept the puzzled family from asking any more questions. Jimmy was relieved to see them scurrying toward the lobby of the Planet Building. They'd be safer there than on the streets, even though the worst of the crisis seemed to have passed. Glancing upward, Jimmy saw the stormy black clouds dispersing. Sunlight and blue skies poked through the smoke from countless small fires throughout the city. No more energy bolts stabbed down from the heavens. Whatever had transpired overhead, it appeared to be over. Or so Jimmy hoped. <coughs> Holding a handkerchief over his mouth and nostrils to keep out the airborne dust and grit, he crept cautiously toward the lip of the enormous crater carved out by the something's crash landing. The dust clouds began to settle, offering a clearer view of the devastation. As Jimmy made his way over the rubble, he had no idea what he expected to find at the bottom of the pit. Here in Metropolis, anything was possible. Camera in hand, he peered over the edge of the precipice. Oh my god. Light ray! The battered figure lying within the crater was one of the new gods, a race of vastly powerful alien beings who dwelt on the distant planet of New Genesis. Cosmic legend had it that when the primordial gods of antiquity perished in some bygone cataclysm, the universe gave birth to a new breed of gods, who reigned from two eternally warring worlds, the heavenly New Genesis and the hellish Apocalypse. Light Ray, whom Jimmy had first met a few years ago, hailed from New Genesis. Eternally cheerful and optimistic, he had always struck Jimmy as the friendliest and least intimidating of the new gods. What... what happened to him? Despite possessing literally godlike power and immortality, Light Ray looked more dead than alive. He lay sprawled upon his back, the cracked debris beneath him fused to a glassy sheen by the heat of his arrival. His skin-tight white uniform, which was usually spotless from head to toe, was torn, shredded, and even scorched in places. One eye was swollen shut, and his lips were split and bleeding. <sighs> Who could do this to him? Darkseid? Doomsday? Light Ray was no pushover. Along with the superhuman strength and endurance of a new god, Light Ray also possessed the unique ability to harness all the various frequencies of the light spectrum. Jimmy had seen Light Ray repel squads of vicious parademons with the blinding beams that had inspired his nom de guerre. Sorry I'm late. I was all the way out near Vega when I got your... Great Rao. Is that Light Ray? 
we heard what sounded like a battle going on above the clouds and someone screaming, and then he fell out of the sky. Jimmy knew that Superman and Light Ray had often fought side by side against Darkseid and his sinister minions. The Man of Steel knelt beside his comrade. Jimmy figured that Superman was probably using his X-ray vision to check for internal injuries. Is he dying? I'm not even sure I know what that means in the case of a new god, Jimmy. But whatever could do this to Light Ray clearly isn't to be trifled with. Rising back onto his feet, Superman scanned the heavens. I didn't see anything unusual when I descended through the atmosphere, but I'd better take another look. Stay here, Jimmy. Light Ray knows you. Talk to him. What do I say that would make a god feel better? Uh, hang in there, buddy. Jimmy scooted down the sloped walls of the crater until he reached Light Ray's side. Superman's looking out for you, so you're in good... Jimmy tried to tug his arm free from Light Ray's grasp, but even bruised and bleeding, the god's strength far exceeded Jimmy's own. Let go! You're hurting me! I don't... What are you trying to tell me? Huh? Uh. Light Ray's entire body started glowing, emitting a brilliant golden radiance that grew brighter and more intense by the second. Huh? It hurt Jimmy's eyes, forcing him to shut them and look away. A sensation like static electricity caused all the hairs on Jimmy's body to stand on end, and there was a peculiar buzzing in his ears. The glow lit up the entire crater and radiated outward like a mushroom cloud. Jimmy suddenly realized that a crowd had gathered on the street above. Everybody get back! It's too dangerous! He was afraid that some sort of dangerous chain reaction was in progress. What if this was just the beginning of a divine meltdown? The whole city could be in danger. What's happening, Light Ray? Tell me how to stop this! Then, just as inexplicably as it had begun, the blinding glow faded away. The last of the discharged energy seeped into Jimmy's bones. Light Ray? No. Solus. His real name was Solus. Jimmy, are you alright? That light was visible even from orbit. I... I'm fine. But Light Ray... Solus... I think he's dead. But how is that even possible? I don't know. What does it mean for the universe when a god dies? New York City. Hocus and Pocus, Occult Curioso, read the sign above the entrance to the small shop, which was tucked away in a secluded corner of Greenwich Village, between a coffee house and a gay bookstore. Kabbalistic symbols adorned the first floor windows, next to a mounted palmistry chart. Fortunes told, promised a smaller sign above the chart. Enter freely, unafraid. <laughs> Easier said than done. Without her powers, Mary felt uncomfortably vulnerable. Vaporous incense fogged the air inside the shop, where she now sat on one side of a round mahogany table. The lights were turned down low, so that the glowing crystal sphere resting atop the table 
provided most of the illumination. Murky shadows hid the corners of the intimate parlor at the back of the store. The faint residue of magic coats your aura. The exotic-looking woman sitting across from Mary wore a band of indigo silk covering her eyes. Rumor had it that she had been blinded by the specter during the vengeful ghost's rampage two years ago. A slinky, low-cut purple dress displayed her womanly figure. Straight black hair hung past her shoulders. Silver glittered on her wrists, neck, and ears. Until recently, you knew the power of this spoken word. Well, that's one way to put it. I lost my power, Madame Xanadu, not my memory. Look, if you can't help me... The other woman held up her hand to silence Mary. Storefront psychics and fortune tellers were a dime a dozen these days, but Madame Xanadu was the real thing. Although her origins were shrouded in mystery, everyone in the magical community heeded her counsel. Shazam, the wizard who had originally granted Mary and Billy their powers, had regarded the reputedly ageless oracle as a peer. It was said that, when Madame Xanadu foretold the future, even the phantom stranger listened. The boy you are searching for, your brother, he's nowhere to be found, at least not by me. Let us focus on you for the moment. Me? What about me? Your future is cloudy, Mary, full of turbulent shadows, obscuring many paths. Luminous mists swirled inside the crystal ball. You will be tested. That much I can discern. What sort of tests? Do I get my powers back? Despite her silken blindfold, Madame Xanadu seemed to peer deeply into Mary's very soul. Difficult to say. There is power in your destiny, that much is clear. The extent and nature of it is not. There are equal parts light and dark. Well, that's not very helpful. Not for the first time. Mary wished that the wizard was still alive to advise her. Unfortunately, Shazam had been slain by the specter about the same time that Madame Xanadu had been blinded during the infamous Day of Vengeance. You must be careful what you wish for, and heed me well. Above all else, you must stay away from Gotham City. Gotham? What does Gotham have to do with anything? It isn't safe for magic. What Child, there's a reason we're not supposed to gaze into the future. To do so is cheating. And the laws of magic make it difficult to predict with a high degree of probability, especially where matters of mystic power are concerned. Great. I feel more lost than I did before. Madame Xanadu remained seated behind her crystal ball. She appeared to take no offense. Perhaps she was accustomed to such reactions. If you're lost in the wilderness... Look for a guide. That's what Mary thought she was doing. Okay, then. Thanks for clearing everything up. She threw a couple of dollars onto the table. Talk about a dead end. So, Gotham City, huh? Thirty-five and counting. San Francisco. The setting sun cast a ruddy twilight glow over the lonely graveyard. Weathered stone monuments preserved the memory of those buried beneath the neatly trimmed lawn. A spiked iron fence surrounded the cemetery, protecting the grounds from intruders. The gates would soon close for the night. Donna Troy wasn't worried about getting locked in by mistake. 
If necessary, she could always fly over the fence. She was a strong and confident woman. The stars themselves glittered in her lustrous black hair and shimmering black leotard. The silvery flecks matched her wristbands, boots, and belt. A satiny black choker adorned her slender throat. Her clear blue eyes contemplated the name inscribed on the tombstone before her. Donna Troy. Although she was immune to the cool fall weather, a chill ran down Donna's spine. She had seen and lived through much over the course of her convoluted existence, but it was hard not to be unsettled by the sight of one's own grave. Years ago, while fighting alongside her fellow Teen Titans, she had fallen in battle against a berserk Superman robot. Her friends and teammates had duly mourned her, but death for her had not proved permanent. Revived by cosmic forces to play a key role in the defense of the universe, she now found herself walking the Earth once more. Even as the engraved marble marker continued to commemorate her heroic sacrifice, she supposed that she should arrange to have the gravestone removed, but that was not why she had come here today. She glanced around the cemetery. She appeared to have the melancholy setting to herself. All right. I'm here just like you asked. Show yourself. A dark-haired youth, only a few years younger than herself, stepped out from behind a tree. A black leather jacket, leather pants and boots failed to conceal his athletic physique. A crimson domino mask was affixed to his face, but she recognized him. She stiffened and crossed her arms over her chest. Jason Todd. Hey babe, come here often? Not really. What do you want, Jason? And why here? Seemed appropriate. He strolled over to her grave. After all, we're both supposed to be dead. Jason had been working as the second Robin, replacing Dick Grayson, when he'd been murdered by the Joker several years ago. Like Donna's, his death had been neither ambiguous nor disputed. Nevertheless, he had recently returned to carry on his career as a vigilante in Gotham City. Donna was a little fuzzy on the details of his rebirth, but she believed it had something to do with that infinite crisis over a year ago, when an alternate version of Lex Luthor had attempted to alter the very fabric of reality. Although Earth's heroes had ultimately foiled the villain's scheme, putting the universe more or less back to normal, not everything had ended up exactly the way it was before. But what's a resurrection or two between friends? What do you want, Jason? Hey, can't one ex-sidekick get together with another for old time's sake? Once a titan, always a titan. Isn't that what they say? Besides... Maybe I just wanted to talk to someone else who knew what it felt like to be living on borrowed time. Despite his demeanor, Donna sensed that he was deeply troubled and unhappy. And who could blame him? It wasn't easy finding out that you were supposed to be dead, that your friends and loved ones had all gone on with their lives without you, even Batman, who had already trained a new Robin long ago. Go on. He took off his mask, revealing a familiar, if slightly older, face. Sullen blue eyes peered into hers. Look at us, Donna. We don't belong here anymore. I wouldn't even be breathing if not for that psycho Luther clone or whatever he was. And as for you? Hell, I've never been able to keep track of all the different identities and origins you've had. Even before you died and came back, your past has always been a tangle. Donna didn't appreciate him rubbing it in. But he wasn't lying. She had spent most of her life wrestling with conflicting memories and shifting personas. She had been a heroine, a harbinger, a wife, a mother, and a goddess. Although she originally joined the Titans as Wonder Girl, she had also been known as Darkstar and Troia. More recently, she had even assumed the role of Wonder Woman, 
while her former mentor Diana took a year-long sabbatical. Now, she was simply Donna Troy again. Whatever that meant. I suppose we do have some things in common. You could have chosen a less upsetting meeting place, but if you really just want to talk, here I am. Now is no time for mere conversation. A pillar of coruscating orange energy materialized before them, and an imposing alien figure emerged from the sparkling radiation. The universe and I have urgent need of you. Over seven feet tall, the humanoid figure wore a bulky suit of futuristic armor. A flowing red cape was affixed to a pair of massive gold shoulder plates. Electronic circuitry blinked upon his matching golden wristbands, while the elaborate silver and purple armor left only his head exposed. Florid pink skin and glowing red eyes testified to his extraterrestrial origins. A bristling black beard framed his lantern jaw, and rows of parallel cornrows traversed his cranium. His craggy face bore a dour, saturnine expression. Donna, watch out! Jason immediately dropped into a defensive posture. He drew a Glock automatic pistol from beneath his jacket. Wait! It's a monitor! Let's hear what he has to say. The monitors, Donna knew, were a race of highly powerful beings who watched over the 52 separate realities that composed the multiverse. They seldom took direct action themselves, preferring to manipulate events indirectly in order to fulfill their self-appointed mission of preserving order throughout the cosmos. Although their intentions were good, the appearance of a monitor rarely boded well. They seldom appeared to lesser beings, unless some manner of universal cataclysm threatened. You are wise, Donna Troy. We have no time to waste on pointless displays of aggression. The fate of your reality, and perhaps all others, depends on us taking swift action to avert a disaster beyond all imagining. Jason lowered his gun, but did not put it away. Oh yeah? I've heard that before. Do not make light of the dreadful apocalypse before us. All that you know may perish, unless you help me find the one called Ray Palmer. Ray Palmer? The Atom? A longtime member of the Justice League of America, the Atom had once used his size-changing abilities in service to humanity. In recent years, however, his life had been marred by tragedy. His mentally disturbed ex-wife, Jean Loring, had murdered some of the Atom's closest friends, and later become host to an evil entity known as Eclipso. Crushed by guilt and heartbreak over what Jean had done, Ray Palmer had literally shrunk out of sight. As far as Donna knew, no one had seen him in years. Indeed. Sources beyond your ken foretell that Ray Palmer shall play a crucial role in the coming struggle. But only if he can be located in time. For that, I require your assistance. Is that so? Why us? Though vast, my knowledge does not grant me a full understanding of the emotions that drive humans such as yourself. Ray Palmer has hidden himself from the universe for reasons of his own. It may well be that I shall need your insights to grasp his past and future behavior. Moreover, I have reason to believe that Palmer now dwells in a reality in which he does not truly belong, much as the pair of you now do. Set an anomaly to catch an anomaly, right? Our meeting here today, Jason and I, that was no coincidence, was it? 
I planted the idea in Jason Todd's mind to bring you together and remind you of your unique status in the universe. What? You stay out of my head, you cornrowed freak! Donna grabbed hold of Jason. Jason, please! This isn't helping! She didn't think that Jason could actually harm the Monitor, but she wasn't going to let him provoke the powerful being into retaliating. Despite his preternatural return from the dead, Jason was still just an ordinary human being with no superpowers. Get control of yourself! Like hell! His bullet missed the Monitor, but tore up the earth at the foot of Donna's tombstone. I'm tired of being treated like a pawn in these lunatics' cosmic games. I'm not letting anybody mess with my life again! What she heard in his voice startled Donna. Jason had always been kind of a hothead, but this was something else altogether. She deftly pried the gun from his fingers and tossed it onto a grassy sward nearby. And since when did Batman's apprentices carry guns anyway? She knew the Dark Knight would not approve. Enough! Such primitive histrionics only delay our quest. I am responsible for this universe, and I say we must get underway. Somewhere outside this reality, beyond even my own ability to detect, Ray Palmer awaits. Uh-huh. And how do you know the Atom's not already dead? Because if he is, then we all are. 34 and counting. Metropolis. Suicide slum in the bad part of Metropolis reminded Jimmy of Gotham City after dark. Come here, hon. I got what you need. <laughs> Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Hookers and drug dealers loitered on the street corners. Winos camped out on the sidewalks. Broken bottles, fast food wrappers, tabloid newspapers, and other refuse littered the pavement. Empty storefronts sheltered squatters, crackheads, and who knew what else. Law-abiding folks knew better than to drop by at midnight. Yo! Red! I know a trick we can do with that bow tie. <laughs> Avoiding eye contact, Jimmy nervously hid his expensive digital camera beneath his windbreaker while he searched for the address scribbled on the anonymous note he had received at the planet earlier today. The letter said that if Jimmy had questions about what had happened to Light Ray, he would find answers at 666 Hobbs Lane, deep in the diseased heart of this urban jungle. The address alone set off warning bells in Jimmy's head. It turned out to be an abandoned brownstone that had obviously seen better days. The windows were either boarded up or broken, and yellow crime scene tape cordoned off the front entrance. The sooty brick walls looked like they hadn't been washed since the Great Depression, and no light shone inside the decrepit building. There was a notice posted on the front door. Condemned. No kidding. A homeless man wearing a ratty scarf and an ill-fitting parka leaned against the stoop of the building. A crumpled paper bag held a bottle of fortified wine. Hey, Red. You probably don't want to go in there. Yeah, you're right. I don't. Jimmy walked up the steps, ducked beneath the police tape, and gave the front door a tentative shove. A broken lock admitted him to the foyer of the building, which looked just as unsavory as its grimy facade and neighborhood. Dingy beige paint was peeling off the walls, and a couple of pieces of rotting wooden furniture had been shoved into a corner. Scuff marks and cigarette burns marred the tile floor, which had been turned into a dumping ground for cigarette butts, empty syringes, rat droppings, and even less attractive waste. 
Ugh. How come I never get assigned to Paradise Island? Oh, sad. Uh, hello? The voice seemed to be coming from upstairs. It sounded vaguely familiar, but Jimmy couldn't quite place it. Who's there? Second floor, three doors down. Jimmy peered dubiously at the murky staircase. Slivers of light from the street outside penetrated the boarded-up windows, providing just enough illumination to see by. Jimmy stalled at the base of the stairs, but he had come too far to turn back now. If nothing else, maybe he could find out why he was stretching and super-speeding sometimes. Hoping that he wasn't walking into some sort of trap, he cautiously headed up the stairs. Jimmy recalled the condemned notice. He grabbed onto the banister, which was slick and greasy to the touch. Ugh, gross. A cockroach scuttled across his hand. Making it to the second floor in one piece, Jimmy spotted a glimmer of candlelight coming from a room on the right. The flickering amber glow led him to an ajar wooden door that was barely hanging onto its rusty hinges. God, it stinks in here, like sleaze. Across from the door, an obese alien with mottled green skin, a hairless dome, and pointed ears squatted on a badly stained mattress. Filthy brown rags clothed his corpulent frame. X-rated centerfolds plastered the walls of the creature's squalid lair, alongside cheesecake shots of scantily clad superheroines like Starfire, Isis, and Big Barda. Former servant, aide, and counsel to Darkseid. Now, a doomed exile on this deplorable mudball you call home. Piggish yellow eyes glinted in the candlelight as Sleaze leered at his visitor. His slimy face glistened like mucus. Have you missed me, Olsen? Definitely not. The loathsome creature before Jimmy had been banished from Apocalypse because of his boundless depravity, which was really saying something. You had to be spectacularly perverted to be too vile for Darkseid to tolerate. I thought you were dead. Alas, no. By sheer force of will alone I have survived, in the hope of someday taking revenge on Darkseid. Your note said you had something to tell me about Light Ray, so just tell me what you know and don't try any of your skeezy mind control games on me. I'm on to your tricks. I'll signal Superman if you even look at me funny. <laughs> Grown some hair on your freckled chest, have you? Listen closely, Olsen. Darkseid can finally be destroyed if you... Oh no! He's here! Who? deserted brownstone shook to its foundations. A blinding yellow glow penetrated the exposed brickwork. The pinups on the wall burst into flame, chunks of plaster ran down from the ceiling, which looked ready to cave in at any moment. Is it dark side? Sleaze threw up his pudgy hands to shield himself from the falling debris. No! There's no time! Run away! Do it now! Jimmy waffled, uncertain what to do. How badly did he want this story? Greetings, Sleaze. Jimmy tried to make out the source of the voice, but the high-intensity glare was too bright. A sickening sense of deja vu came over him. This was Light Ray's final moments all over again. No. Not again! No! Please! Leave me! Ah! 
So begins the end. Jimmy was stunned. The end? The end of what? Jimmy stared aghast at Sleaze's charred and smoking corpse. Sleaze's note had promised Jimmy answers, but his death left yet more questions behind. What the hell is going on here? Gotham City. Madame Xanadu was right. Mary shouldn't have come here. She ran frantically down a deserted city street. The various businesses were closed for the day, the office workers gone home, and a more unsavory element had taken over the streets, like the urban predators now chasing Mary by the lambent glow of the streetlights. <laughs> Stop running, little girl! <laughs> there were at least three of them, all gaining on Mary. Her wide blue eyes searched for sanctuary, but all she saw were locked doors and darkened windows. A painful stitch stabbed her side with every step. If only she still had the speed of Mercury. Mary still wasn't entirely sure why she had defied Madame Xanadu's warning and caught a Greyhound bus to Gotham, just like she couldn't really explain why she had felt compelled to venture down these lonely streets at night. All she knew was that she had to do something to get her powers back, and Gotham City was the only lead she had. What didn't Madame Xanadu want her to find here? Mary had been willing to face any sort of mystical threat or ordeal to regain her powers, but now it looked like her reckless quest was about to come to a nasty end. A four-story brownstone midway down the block caught her eye. Mary thought she spied a hint of movement somewhere within. She found herself strangely drawn to the building, much as she had felt driven to explore this neighborhood earlier. Please! Somebody! Let me in! The door swung open almost as though something inside had been awaiting her. Not wanting to look a gift horse in the mouth, she dashed inside. Her eyes hastily surveyed her surroundings, looking for a friendly face or maybe just a safe place to hide. Light from outside exposed the lobby of what had obviously once been a very elegant address. Marble columns and floor tiles greeted her eyes. A grand staircase led to a mezzanine overlooking the ground floor. An unlit crystal chandelier dangled from the ceiling. The bare walls and floor had been stripped of any expensive furnishings or carpets. Scuff marks recorded the departure of heavy desks or sofas, and cobwebs hung in the place of draperies. Nothing stirred within the venerable walls, not even a rat or cockroach. The musty air smelled sour and rotten, like something had crawled inside the building to die. What is this place? A chill ran down her spine. As her eyes adjusted to the oppressive gloom, she made out more details of the lobby's interior decor, which seemed to have a distinctly Middle Eastern flavor. Elaborate arabesques wound around the marble columns and moldings. Arcane hieroglyphics inscribed throughout the chamber made the forlorn lobby feel like the tomb of some forgotten pharaoh. Mary frowned. Not too long ago, the wisdom of Solomon would have allowed her to read the hieroglyphics with ease, but now they might as well have been written in Kryptonian. She was certain that she had never set foot in this building before, Yet somehow the place felt oddly familiar. <laughs> I hope you're not looking for a phone in here, baby. The leader of the thugs stood in front of the doorway. Serpentine tattoos coiled atop his shaved skull. Metal studs and rings pierced his eyelids, ears, and lips. Cause this dump ain't had water or power or nothing since them ragheads moved out. <laughs> Shazam! Mary's fists clenched at her sides. 
She hated feeling scared and helpless. Ragheads? All eyes turned upward toward the mezzanine, which remained cloaked in shadow. For a moment, Mary thought that maybe Batman had come to her rescue. This was Gotham City, after all. But then, she recognized the voice. I detest that term. Oh, no. What? No! Let go of me! No! Mary instinctively ran in the opposite direction of the fleeing skinheads toward the back of the lobby. Maybe there was a rear exit or something. When she reached out to break her fall, her fingers grabbed onto something dry and withered. She felt the bony outline of a skull beneath her palm. Her fingernails poked through brittle, parchment-like skin. She rolled away from the corpse, only to bump into another body only a few inches away. Her eyes widened in horror as she scrambled away from yet more bodies, which seemed to be all around her. Almost a dozen corpses in various states of decay were strewn about the floor. Missing limbs, broken necks, and large brown bloodstains testified to the nature of their deaths. Who are they? Drug addicts. Squatters. Real estate agents. Mary glimpsed a shadowy figure perched on the balustrade running along the edge of the mezzanine. People stupid enough to intrude upon my solitude. People like you. Defying gravity, the figure hurled himself off the balcony and swooped down toward Mary. A shaft of light from an upstairs window exposed one of the world's most wanted fugitives, the genocidal Superman known as Black Adam. There was no mistaking him. A powerfully built Arab man, he wore a tight black uniform that contrasted sharply with his golden boots, sash, and wristbands. Sleek black hair met in a widow's peak above his Saturnine features. The golden thunderbolt emblazoned on his chest matched those worn by Captain Marvel and the rest of the Marvel family, including, not so long ago, Mary herself. Indeed, Teth Adam had been the wizard Shazam's original champion, back in the days of the pharaohs, until anger and ambition overcame his soul, transforming the heroic mighty Adam into the dreaded Black Adam. Fresh blood dripped from his bare hands as he moved toward Mary. Adam! Wait! It's me, Mary Batson! Well then, perhaps this day is not a total loss. The last time Mary had encountered Black Adam, during his rampage three months ago, his titanic blow had put her into a coma from which she had only just awakened, and that was when she still had her powers. You seem afraid to see me, Mary. Well, yes. She realized now that this abandoned building must have formerly been the Kandaki Consulate, until recently, Black Adam had been the unquestioned ruler of that small Middle Eastern nation. No wonder this place had felt familiar. It reminded her of Adam's sumptuous palace in Kandak. The, these bodies, this, these horrors you've committed. There had been a time, only a year ago, when it had seemed that Black Adam had reformed. His marriage to the beautiful Egyptian heroine Isis had softened his heart and quelled the murderous fury that had consumed him for over 3,000 years. Along with her younger brother Osiris, Adam and Isis had employed their supernatural powers for the betterment of Kandak. Mighty Adam had become his people's champion once more. 
but when nefarious foes struck back at Adam, killing both Isis and Osiris, the old Black Adam had returned with a vengeance, lashing out at the world. It had taken the combined efforts of Captain Marvel and the entire Justice Society to stop him. Eluding capture, he had been in hiding ever since. Horrors! Shards of shattered marble from a nearby column went flying. The world stole my homeland and my family from me! You dare to judge me! Rumor had it that Black Adam had been magically stripped of his powers, but apparently that was no longer the case. These others paid the price for disturbing me. That you two have worn the lightning bolt across your chest will not spare you their fate! Seth Adam, wait, wait, wait! I, I found you by accident, I swear! I haven't come here to judge you, I... I... I think that... Maybe I was sent here somehow... for your help. Help? Where is your brother if you need help? Where is the noble Captain Marvel? I... I don't know. I've been looking for him everywhere. She figured she had nothing to lose by telling the truth. Besides, if Black Adam had somehow regained his powers, wasn't it possible that he might know how to restore hers as well? When I was drawn here, part of me hoped that Billy was calling me. But, but maybe, I, I, I mean, well, you and I, we are the same right now. Abandoned, alone, scared. Well, I am anyway. But, Adam, you're still connected to the magic. You're not helpless. Your powers make you strong. My powers? <laughs> my powers. When I think of what my powers brought me. No, no, that is not correct. When I think of what my power has cost me. They're not a curse. They're a gift. Even after everything that had happened to him, she couldn't believe that Black Adam didn't appreciate having his powers back. She would have traded places with him in a second. I wish. You wish? Make no mistake. Just as these unwary fools ask for death by coming here, so do you risk it by beseeching me. I don't want to die. But I can't. I can't live like this anymore. She remembered how terrified she had been when the muggers were chasing her. She never wanted to feel that weak and powerless again. Please. I just want my old life back. I fear that's impossible, Mary. Black Adam stepped forward and laid his palm gently upon her brow. He could have crushed her skull like an eggshell. But I can ease your loneliness with the company of the gods. Is this truly what you seek? Yes. So be it. Shazam! A bolt of eldritch lightning lit up the darkened interior, striking the floor of the lobby with explosive force. The crystal chandelier crashed to the floor. Billowing clouds of dust and smoke filled the air, obscuring Mary's vision. But she barely noticed the haze at first. Something far more compelling was taking place inside her. Supernatural energy coursed through her body. It was like the charge she always felt when transforming into Mary Marvel, and yet strangely different somehow. More potent, more primal, almost intoxicating. 
Her skin tingled with divine electricity. Closing her eyes, she luxuriated in the sheer euphoria of the moment. So overpowering was the sensation that it took her a second or two to realize that she was now floating several inches above the floor. Holy moly! I feel incredible! <coughs> Glancing down, she saw that Adam was pinned beneath the fallen chandelier. His flushed face was scratched and bleeding. He strained futilely to lift the wrecked chandelier off his trapped torso. Here, let me help. A battered figure, clad in the simple linen garments of ancient Egypt, rose to his knees. No longer imbued with the power of an entire pantheon, the mortal Teth Adam peered up at Mary through the fading haze. By the gods, Mary. Look how you've grown. Mary gazed down at herself in surprise. Instead of the brightly colored cape and costume she had previously worn as Mary Marvel, a satiny black sheath now clung to her body, far more tightly than her old uniform ever had. A short black skirt exposed her bare legs. Jet black gloves and boots matched her new outfit. Only the golden thunderbolt on her chest added a touch of color to her ensemble, which was clearly a feminine version of Black Adam's old uniform. But not just her costume had changed. The slim young teenager now possessed the ample figure of a full-grown woman. Lustrous brown hair cascaded past her shoulders. Generous curves filled out the skin-tight silk dress. You... you've given me... All of it. Not just my own power, but that of my late wife as well. You now possess the magic of Isis, along with the wizard's accursed gift. Why? I have lived long enough with the burden. Over three millennia, <laughs> to be exact. Besides, this is what you wanted, is it not? I... I guess so. It was hard to see a downside to Adam transferring all his power to her. She certainly deserved it more. <sighs> Turning his back on her, Teth Adam staggered toward the exit. Mary experienced a moment of anxiety as he moved to leave her behind in the ruined consulate. She could still feel the wild magic surging inside her, changing her. Teth Adam! I... What can I do? Framed in the doorway, he glanced back over his shoulder with a rueful expression. If you see your brother, Mary, tell him... Tell him I'm sorry. What? What did he mean by that?